strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdown, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another edition of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. Today's episode is called Imagination is a Powerful Tool. We'll be diving into Elon Musk's insane life later on, which will make everybody really have their mind wander. We also have John Stein coming on to discuss his new startup and his life at Summit Series, which has been crazy for the past decade. But uh, before we do all that, we obviously have to go over the current events, food for thought. But like always, let's start with the Sunday night food comas last night. Corey, how was your dinner? Uh, uh, dinner was was good. It was uh, we pretty much had like tacos. But uh, you guys are gonna love this. We had a late night. We were starving, and uh, there's nothing open. We did a late night McDonald's order. And I haven't had fast food in years. <laughs> wow. And um, yeah, we got like just like basic stuff, nothing crazy, but like dollar cheeseburgers and all that stuff, fries, chicken nuggets. Honestly, it hit the spot. Woke Get up, out of here, great workout. You did yeah. this? Yeah, me and Sarah did this. Was and, it like uh, vegan version or some sort of like, you know, health <laughs> version of fast food? You would think, but there's nothing to it. Just so regular. We were hungry and there's nothing open. Um, a lot of restaurants are, are closed here, obviously. And um, the late night, especially, it was like 11 o'clock. There's, there's no choices. We had, we, I didn't want pizza. Um, and yeah, kind of just was craving chicken nuggets. She wanted a burger. Corey, you were really just craving fast food. Cause let's be real. You could have gone bodega delivery, gotten a sandwich, but you were like craving that fried food from McDonald's is really what was going on there. I wasn't craving fried food, but I wasn't, I definitely did not want like a bodega sandwich at the same time. Those sandwiches are getting old. Honestly, yeah. they're, uh, they're all right, but they're not all right frequently. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of what I went with. So it was an actual food coma. I actually haven't ate today because of that. I'm still you and me both. woke up grossed out. Um, but it did hit the spot. So I'm like, Corey, you won't eat that. You'll fast for a full day to get that out of your system. I pretty much did, yeah. I don't. I don't think I'll eat till like seven or eight o'clock today. <laughs> and what's on store for tonight? Uh, tonight we're going uh, healthy. Just some grilled chicken and some broccoli. Some some boring, basic, bitch kind of shit. But you know what? It was after a night like McDonald's. I also ate all day, and yeah, I just have to start over. Hit the refresh button. Yeah, you know, healthy for a couple days, and then get back into it. Yeah, every Sunday just completely go nuts. I love it. Dan, how about you? We actually got sushi delivered last night, which Ooh, it, it was it was actually really good. I wasn't going to do it, but then I looked up this place aside from the delivery app that I used and saw that they had five-star reviews across the board. And I've been craving sushi since this lockdown started. And normally I won't get sushi delivered or really sushi takeout. It's a very specific dining thing for me, but I was actually impressed. It was really good. 
which made me happy because I feel like now a new place. And yeah, no complaints. That's and tonight with the uh, cold food delivery with this stuff. Uh, that definitely rolling the dice a bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, not only am I rolling the dice a bit on that, but we just got a new <laughs> couch today, and we had two dudes come and deliver the couch. And they were in our apartment. They were not wearing gloves. They were not wearing a mask. Today Whoa. was it was actually quite the coincidence. Our timing was impeccable. Yesterday we were like, let's get a new couch. So we found a place. We ordered the couch, and they just happened to reopen today. And we got our couch delivered today. Wow. So today was the first day they were back doing deliveries. And yeah, you know, so sushi delivery last night. I had. Mexican lunch, like a Hello Fresh meal, that was insane. Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing for delivery, but based on Corey's night last night, like maybe I'm gonna do McDonald's. It's been a while. Whoa. I normally would feel guilty, but if Corey's getting McDonald's, I can get McDonald's. You that's gotta go with the honey dip. If you're going McNuggets, that's that. You gotta go honey as your dipping sauce. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Right. Honey. Yeah, I like the sweet, sweet and sour sauce. So good. You know, Corey, I've that's never cool. been a big sweet and sour guy. Me neither, but McDonald's sweet and sours is it's good. something else. Yeah, mm. it just it brought also, me back. It was nostalgic, and right now I could all use a little bit of nostalgia and hit the spot. I feel you. Yeah. Also, getting honey with like the original honey with chicken McNuggets is right passage for showing people that work at McDonald's that you were a '90s kid. Because even whenever I do randomly go to McDonald's and I'm like, oh, let me get honey. They're like, oh, honey mustard. And I'm like, no, the actual honey. Yeah. And they're like, wow, like you're you're an old school customer, aren't you? It's like they, they got to dig beneath the cash register to pull out like old packets of honey that have been sitting there for a decade because no one ever asks for honey. But I love honey. Yeah, there was a stretch of time where honey mustard just took front and center with marketing from the big brands. For some reason, I guess it was the cheapest thing to can you know a concoction to just massively produce and easily to dip. You know, when you think about it, that just took front and center on another level. I've never liked yeah, it. But Mike, tell us, pizza or dumplings? Oh, last I've been, pizza I've been, dumplings. Last night I did dumplings again. I think I've been on a streak of probably a full week of rotating places and ordering dumplings as part of my meals, and. I also last night got peanut butter and jelly and an egg sandwich delivered. Um, I've been going to town lately on food, running steps, doing push-ups, sit-ups, trying to just cycle, working myself up for a pizza. You know, like today I haven't eaten yet either. But last night I did dumplings. I did a late night Indian delivery, a little chicken tandoori wings with non bread and spicy rice. The rice did not sit well at all. I, I had some bad indigestion from that. I clearly have an issue with certain spices that I'm probably allergic to. And I just keep fighting through it. And every few weeks, I have this random thing I eat that does not sit well. That has some sort of spice. I think it probably had cayenne in it, which I can't yeah, eat. It seems like that's a common theme for you. Big time. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop eating delivery spicy food word to the wise from now on with that. So it's always some side dish that kills me. So, uh, but yeah, tonight, I don't know what I'm going with actually. I'm kind of getting sick of this rotation. I've got to eat clean bro at one of these days and just order oh, yeah. that for a few days. It's the best. I have not used them yet. Cause you know what, Corey, I want the same day delivery. I hate ordering for next day. 
Yeah, but like you order Sunday for the whole week. I know. I, I should Perfect. just do that and see how it goes because they have some, it looks like dominant dishes. I know you've been big on that, but um, I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. I'm still kind of up in the air. McDonald's, I'm not feeling right now at all. We <laughs> too, Dan status lately on like cookies. I, they keep giving me these free chocolate chip cookies. It's like Dan pulled a prank and called these people, like throw in some cookies in the order. Every time I order anything, it's like, oh, sweet cookie for you. And it's like, I didn't order this, but it definitely gets you in that psychological mode of, oh, I'm going to keep ordering from this place. They gave me a yeah, they're probably just They're probably just trying to throw away any excess food that they might have, give probably. some free cookies here and there. They are but, you know, about the, yeah, they looked really good on your Instagram. About these, yeah, that place is good. These, oh, that place is awesome. But with these meal delivery services, like Eat Clean Bro and the other ones, they're great. But right now, when you have so much time, it's like the only thing you have to do really besides read, you know, watch TV is like plan your next meal. So who wants a meal that's already like taken care of for you that all you have to do is heat up for in the microwave for 10 seconds. It's like, it's already made. It doesn't kill time right now. Like cooking kills time. It's kind of stress relieving planning your next meal. You could talk about it. It kind of kills time, but you know, those waste no time. It's like perfect for when you're actually working during the work week. See, Corey, I wish I found cooking to be therapeutic. I just can't. I hate it because I don't like cleaning up things. And that I'm creating a mess that I don't want to be dealing with. And then I'm just like, ah. Uh. And, you know, there's definitely – I used to love cooking when I was a kid, when I just could create a mess that I didn't really clean up in, you know, our own house. But that was a completely different setup. Part of it, I'm, I'm not really having a great kitchen right now. But so even like ordering delivery and going going through the menus, looking at what you want, it, it's like a whole thing, you know, kill some know. time. Imagine yeah, having it a takes travel time. agent for ordering food where they just kind of coordinated your, you know, kind of like that next level ordering where it's like, hey, it's like, Corey, this is what you're doing tonight. <laughs> Personal chef for ordering online. Yeah. I actually like waking up and like the first thing I do when I wake up, like once I'm, you know, 10 minutes after being awake, I like to kind of like organize, clean up, do some dishes from dinner the night before. It gets my mind going in a very non-threatening way where it's like it's working and it's doing simple tasks that like really get it going. And then, you know, it's just me and Jeff Bezos. We're, we're both the same in that sense. I, I actually do the exact the exact same thing too. I usually clean up the mess before. It's the first thing I do in the morning. Yeah, and it's a good way to just get your mind ticking. Like I feel like if you had your own apartment and like had your own dishes and stuff like that, you wouldn't mind cooking. But no, I'm gonna have someone find a nice girl that that dominates the kitchen with cooking. Like our buddy Satch from uh, Birthright, he he has it made. His girlfriend's like a legit chef. That just happens to like, you know, part of her hobby is when she's like cleaning up, just whipping up dominant meals like it's nothing. You know, it's like Michael Jordan just shooting layups or jump shots. So that that's <laughs> the guy that did it right. Like that's where I'm kind of in the mode of, okay, be great to find a girl that is phenomenal, just naturally gifted in that area. Did you guys watch yeah, that last night? Hey, spoiler alert. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Is the next, is it just Sundays or is the next episode tonight? Sundays. There were two yesterday and now it's yeah. every Sunday. That yeah, was cool. 
It was interesting. Like, I just thought it was weird how they started diving into Scotty Pippen and then just abruptly stop where it just like they detoured away from it. I was just like, I don't get it. Like, did you guys was- start this storyline or I don't understand why they did it when they did because then they I- cut him out. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking like when they started going into his life, I was, I, I was like, wait, why are they doing it? It well, was no, almost- a chapter in it, the wingman thing, but it's like, okay, what, what are you doing with this though? Are you, maybe it's just that since it is a 10 part series, they're going to kind of yeah. evolve with it's him kind of back and forth. I only, yeah, it seems like a setup. I watched like one and a half. I kind of like started to fall asleep during the second episode. So I got to watch that again tonight. But when the first thing I started to think about when I was watching them talk about Scotty Pippen is now I understand no, no tip and Pippen. It's because the guy oh, never man. got paid. It all makes sense now. And look at his up where he came from. It all makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And it's also easy but to it, say no tip and Pippen. It, it's very, it rings, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that but, um, it, I'm sure there's been a ton of guys that are cheap as hell over the years that are athletes that just don't have a name that rhymes with tip in any way. But Pippen, he just stood, he asked for it. If he ever stood someone else, anyone up on a tip, think about that. It's like, well, no tip in Pippen. Some like, <laughs> boy was probably like, are you kidding me, man? And just, you know, some sly slick, like, 18 year old was like, yep, no tip and Pippin. And then it took off. Yeah. It was pretty much, I mean, the 11 rings, the chapter on that section, it's pretty much covered everything that's going to be in this documentary. You're right, Corey. Like cool. the whole thing with uh, Jerry Krause getting tormented yeah. on us. And he just, he, ha- he has that look just of a guy that you know is like, they called him crumbs. I can't even imagine <laughs> just how bad that got. Cause I, I would be honestly, Pippen, he was stupid going into that deal. It's funny how the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, was kind of like, oh, yeah, he shouldn't have signed that. It's like, dude, you're the owner of the team. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess whole, we don't renegotiate, but there's a time and place where you should. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Luke Longley was making more money than Scotty Pippen. And our uncle lived yeah. next to Luke Longley. That's crazy. Yeah, they were next crazy. door. Yeah, like- they had the only two houses on the street. You met Luke Long once. I've met I met Luke Longley a few times. Man, growing up a Knicks fan, I hated them so much. Hated Luke Longley. I hated the whole Bulls team. But see, that was the, the weird random- story. I loved the Bulls for some reason. Yeah. Like just because Al took me to games. Like I went to a playoff Jordan game, and I remember just being hooked. And I was like, oh, this guy's dominant. And I was just such a huge Jordan fan that I luckily didn't get to experience the other end of those Knicks Bulls games. Cause I was never rooting for the Knicks. It was one of those things where it was weird. Cause I even went to a couple Knicks playoff games with my dad and I just never even gave a shit. I was at that game. Reggie Miller pulled that whole thing, the nine pointer. Oh yeah. And yeah, fuck I, that. I didn't, I was one of the few people that wasn't upset. I, I found the whole thing enamoring. I was like, wow, that is phenomenal basketball. And I was not tormented by it. Cause I wasn't a Knicks fan. But then I started rooting for the Knicks way more when Jordan retired because I've always been a basketball player fan more than a team fan with the NBA for some reason. Well, because then you liked Melo and then Melo came to the Knicks. Exactly. 
Got Even it. those Allen Houston years, I, I loved watching the Knicks back then when they were like always borderline a team that could win it all, but not good enough. Yeah, well, the year that Bulls got ripped apart, the Knicks went to the finals because they finally didn't have the Bulls to compete against. And yeah, uh, yeah we lost to the Spurs, but that was like the Allen Houston years and then 2000. Good yeah. years. That was when basketball was the best. Seriously, with that NBA on NBA on NBC theme, yeah, yeah. You guys actually believe uh, when Jordan, like towards the beginning of that show, said how he walked in when he was a rookie and the team was like doing blow, smoking weed, had girls there, and yeah. he walked right out and like didn't partake in any of that stuff. I don't I feel like, that yeah. at all, but didn't Jordan yeah. used to like be notorious for doing? I don't know about Not, King, he wasn't but, notorious for doing blow. He was up all night gambling. That was his big vice. Is he would was literally he a big drinker? Yeah, he he cigars. Him. He's a huge cigar guy and huge gambler. Those are his vices. He's not but a. That, there was never anything with him in blow. And you could even tell by his body language. I don't think Jordan's ever been a cocaine guy, at all. Yeah, Dan. In that section of the interview, he was like, "Yeah, at the time I didn't drink," and then he was like, "Yet." Yeah. He did yeah. throw a yet in there because I know he's a big drinker now. And he even, I remember like reading something back in the day where the doctor even kind of told him like he wasn't sleeping well at night. And the doctor was like, listen, like drink a few beers at night and it'll help you sleep. And this was back when just we were in a different time period. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was when people were doing cocaine at lunch. Like it was a cup of Joe on Wall Street. You know? All I know is I could have watched Michael Jordan nap two hours and would have been had my popcorn out last night pumped up to just see something that resembled sports on tv for the first time yeah. in what feels like a year that's what well, i was that's thinking why they, it out now. they push that up because of that they just needed anything and a lot of people this is their first taste of michael jordan the younger generation that yeah. you know kobe and you know who emulated his game off jordan i was fortunate enough growing up in jordan's heyday where it was literally, I was able to watch him in his prime crushing it. That was what really got me so into sports on another level. Yeah. So, so and you knew cool. it was, it was also weird. while it was happening too. It was like one of those things where that guy was just on another level of performance. And I oh, think yeah. his competitive nature was just unheralded. I, I don't think there's any athlete in history that was as competitive as Jordan. Like, Tiger Woods. You know, I think Tiger Woods, you could put on that playing field as far as like ha having that level of competitive nature towards the other people in the game and having that like stone cold same personality where he kind of isolated himself from the rest of the game and was a man show. But if there's Jordan, anyone that Jordan was on another level of that, even like outside of like the playing field, like everything with him, even like stories of his friends mothers and card games like couldn't lose to them and would just keep playing till he won where it was like maniacal he's he's on another level of that because when you look at him physically it's not like he's a lebron james uh, like a physical specimen in that nature so he has another level of grit and i think a fire that just a lot of people just don't have like very few people on earth really yeah yeah Elon I mean, yeah. is one of them that has that in a different way, which we'll go into later. Definitely. He does. It was uh, 
Did you guys see? I know we're gonna go into him later, but did you guys see how like CNN tried calling him out in a tweet saying how he didn't actually get the ventilators he said he was gonna get, and then like, are you me? I have the receipts for these ventilators, and it was like. And this back and forth thing where people were trying to blast Elon saying he didn't deliver on his promise. And he was quick to be like, yeah, I did. And then Mashable wrote an article about how he did. He clearly did. Like he had like a list of the breakdown that showed all the different hospitals in California that he got ventilators from because he ordered them directly from China. When the government was saying how like how hard it was to get ventilators, he was just like, I'll get ventilators. And when and when it got them. And then it was blasted by CNN for not getting them. Now I get why like people like Trump are like, oh, fake news. It's like that would have really – that pisses me off as someone that admires Elon Musk. Seeing him get like called out on Twitter for not severing ventilators when in fact he did. That, that really pissed me off. Well, yeah, they have yeah, – there's I mean, definitely a lot of stuff out there that's complete crap. I, I'm not yeah. going to say just on CNN. It, it happens all over the place. But yeah, you've seen that on Fox News too, on another level where people just exaggerate things and then turn the script. And it that's what that's what sucks though. When you're seeing stuff like that, where it's like, this isn't even a fact. Why are you throwing something out that's a fact that's untrue? Like it's one thing to have an opinion. It's like Musk actually came through with that. So I that's where I don't understand CNN. That's a, an incredible situation, really. It, yeah, my guess is they. My, my guess is like this one hospital maybe tells a source like we didn't get any ventilators from Elon Musk, so they're like Elon Musk didn't deliver on the ventilators, and then it's like listen, there's thousands of hospitals that could have gotten these ventilators. Well, and I don't know why someone would even put that up there unless it's like a credible fact that it wasn't the case. It's, like, it's not like including the Elon column. I, I almost think it goes Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think it I think it goes hand in hand with this ongoing narrative that's in society where people want to like point fingers and hate on the billionaires out there. Like like for example, Jeff Bezos started some fundraiser through Amazon, donates twenty million to it and gives customers the opportunity to donate to a fundraiser. And all that people talk about is how, how terrible that is that Jeff Bezos is asking other people to donate to a fundraiser because he's rich. It's like, at what point, like, okay, cool. The guy gets blasted because he buys a $20 billion apartment or $20 million apartment. It's like, he's Jeff Bezos. He created Amazon. He should be able to buy a $20 million apartment. And what's wrong with the guys creating a fundraiser and donating $20 million to it, which is a shitload of money, and then asking other people to do it. It's like people, it kind of bothers me that everyone is like, sticks the middle finger up at people who are like very, very successful. And that's where I think that article stemmed from was to kind of feed into those people. Cause that's really popular right now. Yeah. yeah there's definitely. popular, a lot of trolls just hating that's, you know, a lot of people have time on their hands on another level now. And naturally they're going to just gravitate to that mode of if they're having a bad, bad day using some creator as a punching bag. One way or another. Yeah, at the, at the same time, it goes hand in hand with being that type of either celebrity or being that rich. It just goes hand in hand with having those issues. And then they have, you know, departments to take care of that. But it, the whole thing in general, I think, is just a huge part of the 24-hour news cycle. Obviously, all these media companies out there trying to get clickbait. And they know if they use Bezos or, or Elon Musk, people will click it no matter what it says 
and half the time it's bullshit or the headline just makes you click it and then you read it and it's like that headline made no sense to the article. Maybe they should yeah. stop doing 24 hour news cycles and where we have like a time with nothing where they just have just like this shutdown. We have a few hours a day where there's no news coming in and it's just it's blocked. Back. Back, you know, to the newspaper, back to yeah. the newspaper only days. You reach a point where I don't even pay attention to it. I keep people tweet me eight different things that contradict each other with the market, with yeah. the coronavirus. I just go off intuition at this point, off fundamentals of the world where I'm just like, okay, what is actually rational here? Because if I listen yeah. to all the noise, I'm just going to keep taking two steps back and going nuts. Yep. It's it's crazy that, that you say that because I've been like just on Twitter way more recently and I follow, yeah, all the, yeah, I follow all these different news companies and I follow different people that I just am interested in hearing what they have to say. And yeah, it's gotten tough to even know like, okay, when Fox or CNN or CBS tweets out an article, like I, I used to not even question if something comes from a news source that is one of the ones that have been around for so long. Obviously what they're saying is credible. They've done the research that they've vetted out the sources, all that stuff. And now I've gotten to the point where like, where do you guys go for news? Like if you actually want to get reliable news and you just want to get like a quick synopsis of what's going on in the world for the last day or the last week, where do you guys go right now? The smart news app is definitely as legit with like headline, you know, important impactful stuff that's legit legit that i go off of. smart news i've been going lately with the coronavirus i've honestly just been focused on twitter i've been just reading updates and i, I only follow people that I, I like like you said so you know i'm getting their you know whatever they're tweeting but usually lately twitter usually i'll go to like new york times or wall street journal or local in new york i, I check out different things but Anything from Wall Street Journal or New York Times, I usually believe. Not that that's yeah. the, true. And, and that's what I used to do. And then I started seeing – it almost seems like right now – because we're in this pandemic and everyone's trying to get it right, they're like rushing to just get stuff out there before the other sources. Like Mike, what did Smart mm -hmm. News have to say about the Gilead thing with the drug that apparently is treating the coronavirus? Let's see what they said. I, I have because, not even checked the news today at all. Because I, I mean, no, and this was a thing from the end of last week where apparently Gilead came out with a drug that is really, really promising and it's showing a lot of good results and it's getting people confident. That's why I like the market popped off at the end of last week and everything like that. But when you really dive into it, there's certain people being like, this wasn't even given to people who are on in real life or death situations. It was only given to like casual cases. So when they say that the recovery rate is 99%, they have to keep in mind that the actual drug was only given to people who were not that bad with the coronavirus. And that's where I've read that, but at the same time, I've read other things that this is this is it. Like this is going to make people feel great about going about their lives. And that's where I, it's just gotten to a point where I, I don't know. Yeah, I've kind of almost gotten like Corey said off of who do I trust if they're going to tweet it out. They must know something. Like I don't know. I don't like that though. I don't want to like rely <laughs> off of like Jim Cramer for my news. <laughs> I know prime, prime example. So like I read that article on Friday also, but the article I read said that they were giving it to people in Chicago that were nearing their death or like coronavirus was at 
their the late stages and they didn't know what to do. So they gave like a whole community in Chicago hospital that drug and they all left a week later with no symptoms and, and being fine. So See, that was, was like a prime yeah, example of exactly that, what you're saying. Yeah, because that was the first one I read when things were like when that report came out about the Gilead drug and everyone was talking about it going nuts. That was a report that I read too. And then what started to like kind of come out after that was like, hey, this isn't new news. Reports have been coming out about this drug for the last month and a half, two months. And you know, it's not actually what they're saying. And that's when I'm just like, damn, like, I don't even know what's right and what isn't. I mean, I watched the Trump briefings for comic relief. Like, literally, they are so ridiculous. They've turned in to such, it's insane now, actually. Like, he's got his team of 70-year-olds putting together these makeshift videos an hour before they go on stage. Where, did you guys see that last week? Where yeah. he pulled together clips of the different governors praising him. Yeah. And there are, like, many rallies for Trump. He has to, I mean, you know, exactly. have to there's it's gotten so pathetic like in terms of does he not have like young people who understand social media and like videos like he's putting out stuff as if it's like someone from the 90s doing a powerpoint project <laughs> some of the things i've seen are just like is this uh, is this serious right now it's insane it's I, I don't think it, it needs to be serious with who his opponent is at the moment. So unless there's an audible there, I, I don't really think Trump, he could be putting stuff up that's not even legible. And I don't think it'll matter personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I just, that's where I stand on all that. I, I think people are just, they're either already on his side and are going to vote for him again, or they're not. And these press conferences aren't going to steer any of his supporters away from voting for him. Yeah, like, yeah I mean, definitely, definitely not. That is the truth. So the one, the one yeah, thing I the current events. Yeah. Okay. So current events, which I feel like we've been kind of already starting to talk about with the Jordan documentary and these other things. But first comes first is it's Earth Day. And it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And obviously what we've been before even Earth Day, but a lot of people have been calling this coronavirus a big wake up for our planet. And, you know, the fact that this brings to attention that we need to take drastic measurements to actually protect our planet. And what's kind of what, what, what I looked up and saw, and we'll make sure we put this on our bootstrapped in the trenches Twitter a little bit later but the United Nations like released this graph and it basically shows the slowdown in emissions since the outbreak started and since we all went into these social distancing orders and whatnot. And what's scary about it is it shows that in order to actually be on pace for what the Paris climate agreement is, we need to take such drastic measurements from here because it's basically still showing a gradual increase in emissions, even with everything happening right now. And we, what we need is a 7.6% decrease in emissions moving forward each year. And the graph just kind of shows that even with the world shutting down, it's not even close to what needs to be done to actually get the planet in the right direction to where it needs to go. 
And I thought that was interesting because it just reminds me of another situation that people are going to completely ignore until it's like really, really too late. And all of a sudden, I'm curious to hear. I'm sure you guys have some opinions on that's that. That's why it's interesting how we're going to be talking about Elon Musk. Because when you think about his life goals, they're to solve these exact problems. So, again, yeah. the timing on that is unique and impeccable. Yeah, so then obviously there are some cool things that they also released because it's Earth Day that have kind of happened because of people staying at home. And one of the things is being able to see the Himalayan mountains from India, which I don't want to say has never happened before, but it hasn't happened in recent history. And pollution in India has dropped by over 22%, which India is seeing the biggest effects in a positive way for the environment from their everything shutting down just shows how crazy things are in India. And one of the other things was space satellites are showing much clearer waterways in Venice, Italy which is a cool thing. And then the other thing, and they did acknowledge that there is a lot of fake stuff coming out, but there is also a lot of uh, real footage that's being released of animals kind of roaming free and like taking back the streets. So there, there are these, all these articles that they put out for Earth Day, kind of just going over some of the positive effects that the planet has seen from people staying at home. And those were a few of them. So I thought that was cool. Another thing is today marks the 10 year anniversary for the deep water horizon. You guys remember like the oil spill with BP? Yep. Yeah. Did you guys ever see that movie? Yeah. With Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I love that yeah. movie. But, but yeah. And then it's crazy how many things actually have happened on 420. It marks the 21 year old anniversary for Columbine, which kind of, it wasn't the first ever high school shooting, but it kind of started. I don't want to call it a trend, but a wave, whatever, whatever the hell you want to call I mean, it. It was the first large one in that the media, like the actual large impactful high school shooting or, or any yeah. school shooting of that kind. Yeah, And the reason they say it was impactful was really because the shooter was not somebody that had these like ridiculous pre-existing conditions. It was more, they realized like this could be anybody, this could happen at any school. And then it kind of became like a blueprint slash framework for other people who were clearly sick in the head, who admired the people from Columbine. Like you read all these things online that a lot of the shootings that have happened since, there's a lot of references to people like studying the Columbine shooters, the way they went about things. And that well, that's in everything in life. Copycats is how you how things operate. When you think of any success yeah. story, it's a copycat. Like we talked yeah, about yeah. that with Kobe Bryant, with Michael Jordan. Every great person, even invention, they take things from other things. Even an Elon Musk, he'll reverse engineer ideas from science fiction novels, from authors. So it's not like, yeah. you know, a lot of things are just taken from other things. I, I think yeah. that's where a lot of people don't really grasp but when they're trying to start something even you don't need to create the wheel it's already there yeah look at the nfl it's a copycat league as soon as one team starts a certain type of offense every other team eventually does it yep it's certain quarterbacks you know having that but yeah and it's always yeah. that same foundation and just tweaks different evolutions from the foundation because the offense oh, yeah, exactly. hasn't changed in decades. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And also we're, we're getting a couple comments here for, so for anyone that is curious what this actually is, 
we have this podcast it's called Bootstrapped in the Trenches. We've released a bunch of episodes. We release them every Monday, and you could listen to them wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, the podcast app. So Bootstrapped in the Trenches, check Subscribe us out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, and we appreciate people that are listening and following along. We review, I mean, you know, we just do a whole rundown here. But um, yeah, that was nice food. Yeah, and then you guys obviously saw the shooting that happened in Canada this weekend, right? Yeah, Nova Scotia. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so that, and then I mean, that's that's really my news. Obviously, it's also it's four twenty today. That used to be something that I cared about. <laughs> it used to be something that like the whole world cared about, and no one. I've really heard that a lot today it. from people in tech. Oh, four twenty. Like, just I feel like that just pops up, and in the food delivery business that we're in, it's great. Because it just triggers yeah. people getting the munchies and ordering pizza. Especially uh, around our, our markets around college campuses. That's you know, exactly when kids are into 420. Exactly. Like, uh, I saw one of our restaurants, Butch's, has 420 types of pizzas where it's they sent me pictures this morning. It's like tater tots and, and all kinds of crazy stuff on the pizza. And obviously wow. just for 420 related. Now I'm hungry. There was a point in time, and I'm sure it'll get back to this, but between Denver and Boulder, I never went to the one in Denver, but Boulder used to have the biggest 420 gathering of all time, really. And there would be, I mean, that whole school would essentially shut down. They tried shutting it down a couple of years, but it's tough to shut down 10 to 15,000 people gathering on a field to smoke weed. And 420, you know, the big the, the big gatherings are supposed to be a protest to legalize it. And obviously we're heading in that direction. It's kind of it's interesting though. Both like here we are in 2020, and both our primary candidates here, neither of them are pro marijuana. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that off the horn earlier, Dan. I think personally with where things are because of this pandemic we might see the whole federally legalizing marijuana be expedited because of the money-making opportunities for the government. So it'll be interesting to see if Trump wins another term, he'll not care anymore about the core voters that put him in office. And because to me, like a lot of what Trump does is he caters to a specific audience that he knows needs to get out and vote to elect him. And that's the audience that is, you know, anti-abortion, anti-weed, and anti-bunch of things. It's obviously the opposite of the liberal audience. But I don't necessarily think that's how Trump is. And I I think the second term, like Trump, all he cares about is winning. So if he wins and then has a second term, you can't win again after that. So that's when it will be interesting to see what he does when it comes to things like that. Because I actually think a guy like that – would legalize weed for the economy once he knows he doesn't need certain voters to vote for him again because he's already the president. Now. No, and he'll have that legacy of making it federally legal, which he'll love being talked about. <laughs> yeah. oh, Donald Trump did that, you know? Yeah, like, that's such a Trump move. And it's easy to convince him of that. If his, he's an, an advisor, if I'm one of their advisors, it's like, hey, Donald, listen, man, this could be something that really people talk about forever even your staunchest uh, opponents where they're like, Oh, well Trump, uh, you know, legalized marijuana. So that was something I would yeah. Yeah, like where your heads out with that, Dan. Yeah. And then yeah, the other too. thing that, uh, the other thing that comes on to like the last thing on the news that I figured we all should spend at least a little time talking about is, you know, everything 
is sort of starting to reopen. There's days that are around the corner, like different states are starting to come out with their own things. But it's it's starting to look like there's a day here where things are going to be back to normal. And I'm wondering, and I think about this a lot, like, do you guys think it's just going to all of a sudden that's it? Or do you think this is going to cause things to sh- really shit the bed because maybe we're not waiting long enough and, you know, we're in a country where people are impatient. I mean, I'll tell you firsthand, I, I'm, I, I want to just do whatever I want. I want to go to a bar and hang out with people. I want to get on a plane and go see you guys in New York. Like I'm, I'm, I'm personally feeling kind of over this shit. And the thing is, I look at myself as a responsible, slightly intelligent person. So the fact that I'm feeling like this, I, I feel like a lot of people are feeling like this and I'm wondering what's going to happen. I mean, New York yeah. is locked down until May 15th. So you know, I don't, I think it's a lot different in other parts of the country, but there's no doubt, like even seeing the Florida beaches flooded in Jacksonville this but week. That, that was, that was fake news. The Florida actually came out with their own drone footage of the same beaches to kind of shut everyone down. And they were like, this is not what our beaches were. These are the actual pictures of our beaches. Dude, that's just ridiculous. I know, dude. That's the type of thing that pisses me off. And apparently the beaches were, people were not flooding to the beaches. There was hardly anyone on the beaches. It's like people want to, and this is what I was I don't know if I actually put something on Twitter about this. I think I did, though. I think I retweeted it. It's annoying that we live in a society right now where everybody just wants to get mad at somebody. They want to be able to say, this person is doing something wrong. Let's blow this up on Facebook and make them feel like idiots. And I'm not saying no one does things wrong, but even like the protesters, it's crazy. And yeah, like people protesting that the world is shut down. Maybe they're being stupid. Maybe they're just trying to voice their opinion and they want to get back to work. But what I find even stupider is how many people feel the need to attack those people on Facebook. It's like, what is more important? Like, what do people actually care about? It seems like everyone just wants to be able to post something on social media where everyone's going to be like, yeah, screw that guy. That guy is being stupid. I don't It's so annoying to me. I hate it. Hey, yeah, people on the internet are just trolls and it's ridiculous. The thing with the lockout is like, obviously I think everyone's bored. I think if everyone had their selfish ways, they would want this to be over right away. But if this ends and things go chaotic and I have to like, and they say, all right, May 1st, May 15th, everyone can go about their ways, do their own thing. And then a month comes and it's June and, you know, things are not looking good. And they ask people to go back into quarantine, I think that would be the worst. Like I'd rather just at this point been doing it. I want to just get it over with quarantine for as long as possible to save lives. And like, I'd rather have a full summer and just be done with the quarantine and do as much as we can. Um, and I like, to me, just like quarantining, then taking a break, going at the back and seeing the social or doing the social norms that you're used to going to restaurants, going to bars, and then having that taken away again, I think would be the worst thing. Yeah, I completely I so. agree. That's why it's better to do it an extra couple of weeks if need be just to be safe than to completely cause extra level chaos, which would be a major issue for the economy on a level that probably wouldn't be repairable at that point. I almost think they'd let it, they'd just ride it out. I don't think once they open up, no matter what happens, they would go back to uh, quarantining, even if that means yeah. that things really got ugly. I, I don't like, I don't think they could and I don't think they would. Well, it comes I, back down to the equipment at hospitals. If they have enough equipment 
for the data to make sense of the what if scenarios being dire. That's what it is at the end of the day. Like that's what they have to be prepped for. And then, you know, they have to keep things open at that point if they're prepped with the hospitals for worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean that, and and I think that was always the biggest thing is we were nowhere near prepped and you would kind of start to see like, unfortunately this is what's crazy is all I would hear was the death toll when there was only 3000 deaths and now we're over 40,000 and I got to look for that number. It's not like that's like constantly in my face and the amount of people that die each day, you would think that's all people talk about, but it was before that even started. That's when people were talking about it. It was like, Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Now it happens. Very few people are like when I'm on Facebook, the difference in what people are posting now compared to a month ago when it was like, look at Italy, look at Italy, we're next, we're next. And here it's it's happening. It's now. Like we have thousands of people dying every day and no one talks about it really. I'm not saying no one talks about it. All people talk about is the coronavirus, but like no one's really talking about the numbers unless you're looking for it. And that's where I almost think if things went back to normal, things would get ugly and it would maybe not be as dominant of news like it is now. Like when everyone's forced to stay at home, all everyone wants to know is like what the hell is going on that they want well, to hear about no other news when everyone's that, home. That's why it's right on that. Yeah. And we're yeah. forced to stay home for that specific reason. So everyone's like, all right, looking for news yeah. on when this shit will be over. Yeah. Don't you guys think that if things were back to normal, as far as people able to live their lives, even if the outbreak started to go crazy again, would it, dominate the news to the point where people would like be like, Oh man, what are we doing? This is bad. Or would the news be like, we're done talking about this shit. We need to figure out something else to talk about. I mean, it depends on the mortality rate. If it's what it's starting to look like where a lot of people are asymptomatic or like barely have symptoms and have had this, then the data is that this thing is way less deadly than the flu. If that's not the case, it could be vice versa, but there seems to be some reports coming out that there are a lot of people that just aren't showing symptoms that have this thing. So like I can tell you firsthand, like Corey, when I called you a couple weeks ago, I went through a two day knock on wood, but I I felt like I was coming down with something very tired, leg cramps, a little chest cold. And then I like, I don't know. I did these like breathing exercises, was just doing stuff that I was like finding online and luckily woke up fine the day after. I, for all yeah. we know, I had that and just, yeah, had a, you could I just had still, a different reaction. Yeah. You could have still tested positive. Like dude, yeah. Sarah's been in my apartment in the studio when I had it for three weeks. I mean, there's no chance she didn't have, or was a carrier didn't have it. There, there's no chance. I mean, so, she's yeah. like literally. So yeah, so I think a lot of people that up differently. So it's like at the end of the day, you know, I think it's really hard to know. But based on that, we have to open up the floodgates at some point. And as long as we have ample equipment, we should. Corey, what do we got food for thought wise? So food for thought, um, I want to talk about TikTok food trends. They've been literally just going viral every single week. And I also thought it's something that we should dive into, maybe have Jeff do on all of our platforms because they're super easy, they're food related, and it's good content. Um, So (laughs) there's like literally 50 of them and people are doing them every single day. Um, And TikTok's obviously more hot than ever. One of them I thought was cool that I tried was awesome. If 
to get a like an egg yolk out. So you can crack if you just want egg whites and you crack all your eggs in a bowl. You could just take an empty plastic water bottle and then you can just suck the egg yolks out and it comes right out. And wow. it's super easy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The other one was like making an egg sandwich all together. You pretty much put your eggs in, you let it sit and simmer, and then you put the bread on top of the eggs like you're making an omelet. Then you just flip it over and it literally, you can just make a perfect sandwich. Oh, that one you could do that. Yeah, you gotta, you have to visualize that one, watch the video, but it's pretty neat. Um, and then, you know, there's a million of them. The other one was, let's see. Uh, oh, reheating pizza. Um, for anyone who ever reheats cold pizza, you can make it brand new simply by just reheating it in a pan with putting a cover over it. So you get the crisp on the bottom. It steams the cheese. Um, you know, there's people out there who microwave their pizza or, or put it in the oven. That's just not the best way to do it. So stovetop with the cover on makes your pizza better or the same as and Corey, you what heat. Like how do you what heat and what time? Uh, medium heat. And until the cheese starts melting on top. That's awesome. And just cover it with like a pot handle or something. Yeah. Whatever comes with the pot, the stove pot. Good, good tip. I'm going to try so, that. So there's literally millions of them. People are addicted to it. So I thought it was something we should jump into for a low Dell or even the bootstrapped in the trenches podcast. It's good content for all of our channels. These were comments that someone put up that I didn't realize I had to approve in order to show you guys, I guess. And maybe now yeah, people. Cool. Yeah. Why does everyone I, call everyone with an opinion of the, the internet a troll? Sometimes a guy just wants to make an opinion. Sometimes if you are me, you want to make jokes. I completely agree with that. That's not a troll though. A troll is somebody that states something just to create animosity for no reason where there's no actual substance behind the opinion. It's just to create a platform for hate. Like that's and, my idea of a troll. I'm, I'm, no, I'm right. all about constructive criticism and opinions. That to me is not a troll. If someone right. has a poor experience with our site and comments about it, that's not trolling. But somebody that just like continues to hate on someone like, Oh, Lodell sucks. Lodell sucks. Like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Where it's, all right, bud, like the fourth time, fifth time, it's like, where where are we going here? That's trolling. And also, yeah, a lot of people. Go, go ahead, ahead Corey. Well, no, I was going to say that the comment came from when I was talking about like, oh, I get pissed off when people like are like, oh, why do you got to protest? Or, oh, the Florida beaches. I'm not even calling those people trolls. I I'm more saying I'm just pissed off that people are always looking for something to be pissed off about. Like they're not even trolls. There's nothing wrong with it. Most people want to see that. Most people want to see that the protesters are out and comment on the feeds. And I'm not calling that trolling. That's like people trying to share information that they feel is people being irresponsible to create awareness. And I get that. I'm just saying it's been pissing me off. That's all. Yeah, and there's a lot of people on Facebook who give good opinions and comment relative things, but a lot of them are just looking for a reaction. And those are obviously the trolls we we're referring to when we're, we're talking about internet trolls, not people who are giving valid responses, you know, answering questions correctly or, or giving their opinion in general. It's just the people that are looking for reactions to make people laugh and it's just not necessary and attack brands. I also think it's their weird way a lot of times of creating a sense of community that they're yearning for and lacking. 
So when you think about it, it's someone that's isolated, lonely, and they're trying to grasp at some sort of attention. It's almost like that kid that acted out in class all the time growing up where, you know, we're the problem child on the team where clearly there were underlying issues there. So that's kind of how I always look at it is that's what's going on with trolls. Yeah, definitely. Mike, do you think we should like basically once John's interview is over, dive into the book since he's going to be on here in three minutes and Corey, like you still have the cupcake sandwich, right? The cupcake sandwich was uh, just another food hack on TikTok where TikTok where you literally just take cut off the bottom, like after the bottom of the cupcake, put it on top, and then you eat the cupcake like a sandwich. So that was, that's just another hack for anyone out there in cupcakes. Out. Pretty cool. Nice. I could see myself trying that half. I had like a whole roll of Oreos last night when I was watching the Michael Jordan documentary. It was so awesome. I love the combo. Corey, before you get off, do you have any thoughts on the on Elon Musk in general you want to share? Yeah, I wrote some stuff down. I, so I read this book a long time ago, and I loved it. Um, hang on one sec. So there's three things that I wrote down that just takeaways. Uh, one was if you can unite all goals on lower level to somehow serve that one mega goal at the top, uh, your life as a whole will become a lot more focused. And with Elon Musk, um, obviously Tesla produces batteries. Solar City, solar that Solar City can sell, and Solar City makes solar panels for Tesla charging stations. So all of his companies work together to serve his grand mission, which is he had before high school, and that's just saving the future of humanity. So I mean, he's obviously an incredible person, um, and just doing you know, great things for the future for everyone. And the, the fact that he can just handle so much at one time without getting mixed up, like the guy has so much going on and is able to just completely do everything um, without, uh, I don't even know how to say it. It's just, uh, he's unbelievable. <laughs> he doesn't deal with idle time. He doesn't know what idle time is. That's the thing. Yeah. His thoughts, wherever they go, lead to a new business to help the world. It's remarkable. It really is. Good stuff. Well, we got uh, John Stein coming on here in a second. John is the Senior Director of Community at Summit. And for those of you that don't know what Summit is, it's a entrepreneurial haven. It's an organization that basically designs experiences that connect and inspire a community of leaders all over the world where they host these events with the top execs at companies, like the Elon Musks of the world get together with a lot of artists and entrepreneurs and you, you meet a lot of like-minded people. I went to one of their events at summit series in Utah that John invited me to a few years ago. The Tom shoes founder was there. Uh, and it was really a cool experience just meeting a bunch of people that worked in completely different industries, but you're all like-minded because you're creating in different ways as artists, entrepreneurs and, they have the founder, Elliot Biznow, actually started this mountain in Utah. His whole vision was bringing entrepreneurial entrepreneurs to a place that, you know, was gorgeous and that they could hang out and get together. And they've put together retreats. And John has been an integral part of that team now since he got out of Indiana University when he graduated. 
And we got John. John Stein. There we go, baby. How are you, man? Some cameras going. Yeah, there we are. Oh, baby. What's going on, dude? All good things. All good things. I wish I could change my background. What's the? What, how do I do that on this thing? Oh, I, I'm just. I have my. I'm at my buddy's apartment. He just has some artwork on the wall, or else I'd be in a blank background myself, John. You know me yeah. with being minimalist with that stuff. Yeah, feel that. Feel that. How, how's it going, man? So I know you are usually in Brooklyn, but you were telling me yesterday we were chatting, catching up a bit, and you've had a base out in Utah in Eden for a long time. What what triggered you, John, making that move out there short term to, during the virus? Yeah, I mean, well, for one, I, you know, I, I, I always come out to Utah, like whenever, you know, it's just a nice place to be. It's a beautiful place. Like we're in Eden, Utah, in the mountains here and surrounded by, you know, in a valley with 360 degrees of mountains and a beautiful lake and all these things. So just for peace of mind, it's obviously a nice place to be very lucky to, and privileged to have that um, chance. But, um, but yeah, look, it's nice. It's also, it's important to, for me to just, um, yeah, just, just be in places that I can relax a bit and, and not be in the chaos of New York. So if regardless of what's going on, like it was just important to get out of there and uh, you know, find some balance. For sure. Man. I mean, Dan, if you know, Eden were John's base, we were talking a bit, John about, uh, summit right before you came on and the base there and uh, I was telling him how gorgeous it said is when I was out there a few years ago hanging out with you and Isn't it, uh, what's it's close up to Lo it's close to Logan right yeah That's right. one of our markets is right down the street from where John is but it's so it's it's like the most beautiful part of the country that whole area it's insane yeah it's incredible it's a very dynamic state right you have like the mountains where we are up here and then down to, down the south, you have like Zion and uh, you know the beautiful desert. So we yeah. uh, rent rented that house in Logan that was kind of like outside of Logan, up tucked away into the mountains, and we had it for an Airbnb for like a month while we launched that market. And we would wake up to like wild turkey and just like huge animals that were half eaten on the property. It was <laughs> like we were like in the damn woods out there, and it was it, it was insane. It was one of the coolest months of my life being at that house. Love Utah. It's a different level of like the sun out there is brighter than even what, you know, John, we were in Colorado for a decade, Dan, uh, Dan, even longer yeah. Utah. There's something about the sunshine out there. That's like next level bright. I don't, you know what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. I've never put my finger on it, but I do find that, yeah, there's especially at, at like twilight, like just as like the sun's setting, like the glow off of the mountains is, is yeah, it's nothing like it. And yeah. Uh, and John, yeah. you spent years out there. So when did you end up transitioning back to New York? Cause you're Dan, John's the first person that established that whole mentality with me with a base where you can be based somewhere and it, you don't have to look at it as just, Oh, I'm living here, which kind of completely opened up the floodgates for me about moving around and being fluid. So John, can you dive into that a bit? I mean, yeah. Uh, well, for one, with you know, with with the Salt Lake Airport being an international airport, um, that alone, just having or being living near any international airport or any uh, you know large larger airport, you can kind of get you can get to the airport quickly and then get wherever you need to go from there. Um, and so once I had that, also I guess look at the end of the day, I'm living in a town, 
in my 20s. This was, you know, this was for many years. I, I established this mindset in my 20s where the town is just 800 people. So, you know, you kind of seen the same people over and over again. And, and, you know, luckily I'm very privileged where I was able to travel a lot, but I never was attached to one specific place. And so I said, okay, you know what, I'm a base, I'll base myself in towards more central, a more central part of the country. And then from there, yeah, I could pop out to LA whenever I want and stay with friends or do the same back to New York or San Francisco or Austin, wherever I might end up. Um, and so just being very light, uh, you know, light footprint, I don't own many things and um, yeah, just keep it fluid and able to travel and, and stay with friends and meet new people wherever I go. So it was, def that's definitely um, part of the mindset, just being very open-minded and light with your, you know, my footprint essentially um, of living. And when John, did you decide it was time to switch bases to Brooklyn? Because I know <laughs> you were in Eden for years as your primary base. And then a couple of years ago, you shifted gears. Yeah. Well, for one, my family's there. So my, my family's in Long Island. So, you know, I'm like a 40 minute drive from them from Brooklyn. And that's a big factor. Same thing with my friends being in New York. That's a huge deal. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm in, I'm in Williamsburg and some, I, I'd argue that Williamsburg is, has some of the best restaurants per capita in the U S and so I'm able to literally walk from place to place, going to different, uh, you know, different cafes and restaurants and living in a very cool neighborhood, being in the flow of creativity, um, being, I think New York in general, there's a flow of creativity that's unlike anywhere else in the world. So, you know, to base myself there, I think was is really valuable because I'm able to like pick up and meet so many different people from different walks of life. And, and what I was going to say is pick up on a lot of trends and see things earlier because of it. That's, that's incredible, man. And yeah, obviously being from New York, it's in your blood. So, you know, getting back to that hustle bustle, John. And John, what were, what was it called yesterday you were telling me about when you hop around on bike from food spot to food spot? Oh, man, I love this. My friends, we, we call it bang bang. And the, <laughs> you could bang bang ice cream shops, you could bang bang pizza restaurants, or you could bang bang some of the, like your favorite restaurants. Essentially you go like, like the other day, you know, God, I sound so obnoxious, but you I go to Peter that. Luger's and get a steak. And then right after you can go to, you know, Joe's for soup dumplings, right? Wow. So literally the best item at each place instead of having like one meal at the place. We should do That's, a bang bang segment, John, when the dust settles on this. and The best a, bang bangs? Yeah, a Brooklyn bike marathon and just crush like, you know, five or six insane spots. I'm down. Hell yeah. What? How, what's the longest amount? Like, what was the longest stretch for Bang Bangs? I mean, one day, I, th I, I think we went to Defara's Pizza. Then we went to Totona's Pizza. Then we went to uh, Spumoni Gardens. And Whoa. and I also think along the way, I had a hot dog from Nathan's. <laughs> wow, John. That, yeah, that's, that's the way to do it, man. And I love how you're like constantly moving while building up the food coma. It allows yeah. you to just keep pouring it on. It, there's also it's something very important about us, which is that people are always asking New Yorkers, oh, what's your favorite pizza or what's your favorite bagel? And you don't really know unless you've done a bang bang, right? You know, one after the other or you're eating them at the same time. So there's some, you know, if you want to be credible, there's something truthful about, you know, actually trying them one after the other. 
I love where your head's at with that because that really is an easy way to keep things front and center in your mind. Like, oh, I just had this slice or else it really is tough to compare when you're weeks out from eating an Emmett's pizza versus a Joe's pizza or a John's pizza. It's tough, you know? Yeah. Now, have you guys discussed your your favorite pizza restaurants in New York? You know, we really haven't, man. I Joe's Pizza is what I, I was supposedly doing the La Bamba dance when I was an infant in that place. So it holds <laughs> close to home with that. But I honestly, it just feels great, John, being back, being able to just get a slice. When I Colorado does, it's not New York. Like nothing is New York pizza. Of course. Having that big triangular slice that just sogs through the plate a little bit. But, you know. I'd say we've... We've had at least a few minutes on every show since Mike's moved to New York where New York pizza gets mentioned. And I know it because I'm in Charleston and the pizza down here kind of sucks. And every time he brings it up, I'm just like, God, like I want New York pizza so bad right now. Oh, so it, yeah, it comes up at least once every, every show, at least for a few minutes. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, John, that must have been a big perk for you for moving back east too. Yeah, I'll tell you. I have one funny quick pizza story, which is that if you listen, so I love magic for one. Uh, and if you listen to the David Blaine episode of Tim Ferriss's podcast, Tim Ferriss asks him a question and says, if you had to give a TED talk on anything but magic, what would it be on? And, and David Blaine said he would give a TED talk on Defar's pizza in Brooklyn. Whoa. And so, yeah. That's, and so <laughs> as I waited in line for three hours for Defar's pizza, in, in Midwood, Brooklyn, me and my friend Matt literally had his podcast playing in our ear as we watched the OG of pizzas. Wow. Is that, John, like three hours? Talk about foodie dedication. Like what what is the, the threshold there? Because I always think about that with how long would I actually wait to get like a, my favorite go-to slice of pizza? What is the deal there with you? Like is there a trigger where – you would have gone if it was four hours or would you have waited in a tent if you had to? <laughs> you know, it's a good question. I, I, I like to be able to speak to the, you know, the experience that I've had, right? So back to just like being credible with describing different pizzas. When you've, until you've tried Defaras, you don't really know how it compares to other groups. So yeah, I'll do whatever it takes to be able to speak to actually having half of a pie from, you know, the, the old man at Defaro's who makes each individual pie by himself, you know, taking his time to clip the basil and do all the things. Yeah, whatever it takes. See, that's that awesome. Pie. You'll get engulfed in that experience and just be on that journey where it's like, okay, I've dedicated to this. I'm going to just roll with it. That's what's great with John, Dan, because I traveled with John a bit when we were in Iceland. His <laughs> open-mindedness towards that is you'll never meet someone that's able to just navigate with a blank slate and just like plug things in. It's unbelievable. If you ever, and that's another thing for our listeners, if you ever need anybody you want the master of tips for like life hacks in any area like john found us a world-class spa in iceland that was the coolest place to this day i've ever seen are you talking that place is actually called world class world class spa yeah <laughs> like they had minority report down with the eye scanning going on john just finds these hot springs that were just in the middle of nowhere that no one's probably even been to 
Just that was different off the cusp. It's a talent that is like a unique gift to have. And not only that, but it's a passion that you and I share equally. I am obsessed with those types of places. And when Mike, he's brought up the one in Iceland several times. Yeah. Sounds awesome. They also have really cool ones in Shanghai and Tokyo. And I can go to one of those every single night and spend like two hours at them. Just, yeah, they're incredible. The plunge pools, the hot tubs. Yeah. uh, the steam rooms, the yeah, it's it's insane. It's just John, when you're very resourceful, that's the thing, and I think that's why I'm pumped to hear you kind of dive into even what got you in the mode to go in the startup mode with what you're mm-hmm. building. But can you start off, man? Even how we even got connected, we were kind of talking yesterday how yeah. crazy the chain of events were from you to meet Jake, and you know, me and you connected through Jake. Can you go over that story for even how that started with the mixtape? Oh, uh, yeah, I could do it. I'll, I'll do it somewhat succinctly, but yeah. essentially, yeah, look, I grew up in, I grew up in, you know, just outside of uh, Queens and Long Island, about a 45-minute ride on the LARR, and I think, you know, it was about eighth grade when my mom and my parents would let me go into the city um, before any of the other, like, kids in my town were allowed in the city, and so, yeah, we used to go to Canal Street, um, and get all the different fun things you get on Canal Street, you know, Louis Vuitton handbags and everything else. And I used to buy it and then sell it back in Long Island. But um, but one day, I some guy came up to me. He's like, yo, I got the mixtape with Cameron, Joel Santana. He knew everyone to say that I was like interested in. And he puts it in my hand and I go, thank you. That's awesome, I'm excited for you. And he goes, yeah, man, and uh, yeah, enjoy that. And um, yeah, just throw me like a $10 donation and it'll be cool. <laughs> and I was like, what? I totally got hustled. Um, <laughs> but it was worth it because, no, it, ch- it actually changed my life. I'm so grateful for that because it changed my life because then I was like, huh, I'm going to start my own mixtapes. And um, so point is I started making my own mixtapes, uh, you know, selling them in high school, then having other people sell them for me. And before you knew it, I ended up sending a mixtape to some rapper out in, um, out in Indiana. Uh, actually, you know, at the time he was in Chicago, but he was already signed up for school at Indiana. And that person was Jake Udell. And he wrote me this like incredible thank you note. That's like, hey man, like, thank you for this mixtape. I love the music. Um, by the way, I'm starting a movement called Burbetto and you know, I should probably be on this mixtape too. so and then i got on a call with jake and like yeah i was 17 he was 18 and he convinced me to go to indiana and then right away we started doing things like you know concerts and whatever the hell else we got into promoting his music and then he introduced me to mike now we're you know the closest of friends but mike at the time yeah b-town menus was already like famous like when you got on campus you essentially like the like the the school didn't even know how to market things to you before you got hit with the you know B town menus like thousands of cups and everything else you can imagine. <laughs> I think I had a I think I had a B town menu shirt before I had an Indi- any Indiana gear. Wow, <laughs> we, that, that's back when we were doing our jobs, <laughs> right? Seriously, yeah. when we were in those young college age, just grind on the campus. You know, and that, that was pre-Instagram, John, pre-really yeah. that, that era where you could just do things. Like kids these days don't even respect that stuff the way they used to. That it's stuff like, catered, 
that stuff catered to our personality so well because we're East Coast hustlers and the idea of going out and talking to thousands of strangers every day is fun and it's easy. So it's like, yeah, we'll do that. Good, like, good luck to anyone else trying to do that. That used it to be like, like, Even being fortunate though, like Insomnia Cookie, Seth Cohen, the founder of that, using me as a guinea pig where I convinced him to give us 100,000 free cookies when we were first starting and that they were like going around with these mobile trucks throughout the Big Ten and I'm like, Seth, we're building this brand. Let me like crush these out for you. So we would just go into the library during like midterms blasting like, oh, free cookies. And people were chanting and they'd be like, you need to get out of here. But, you know, we bring the, the police free pizzas and they'd, they'd order from us all the time. And no, they kind of let us just that's what I always respected with IU, John. They let us yeah. do our thing. They really did embrace the whole business notion of like, you know, it, it helped that we paid for buses and all that stuff. But they kind of turn the other way a lot of times with marketing when we couldn't. Really just, it's so funny you should say that because I was going to tell a story of something of the opposite. Oh, I'm pumped because, to hear it. Yeah, let's hear this. Well, well, what happened was is that you were inspiring Jake a little bit too much on okay. just marketing. <laughs> and so he's like, we're launching a mixtape. Like, we need to get out there. And so we did the most ridiculous guerrilla campaign from everything from like spray chalk to, I, I mean, must have printed a thousand flyers oh, to, man. I don't even remember what else. All I remember is that we got a letter from the police that morning. <laughs> Same morning we did it. We actually, it was, we, we started at probably 10 p.m. at night, flyered the campus until like you couldn't walk without seeing JQ or Berbetto somewhere. <laughs> oh, then man. we passed out around 3 a.m., 7 a.m., we wake up. They know where we live, obviously, and uh, yeah, we get the the notice from the police. And wow. uh, I don't see it wasn't even from the school. I think it was from the police, from the Bloomington police, who are just like, "This is a little bit too much, guys." Like, chill. That's oh, when man. you. That's when you know you're stepping it up, though. That's validation for hustling at its finest. I got exiled from campus the year after I graduated. I got banned from the campus that we paid all this money for me to go to school too. Cause I was passing out t-shirts on campus. It was insane. Yeah. So wait, Jake's the reason you went to IU and you didn't even really know him before IU. Jake is a massive factor. I mean, he was the, probably the biggest reason. I mean, I think he, I mean, he, during his little five freshman year, he invited me from long Island. Like I was still in high school to stay with him. Oh, right. Awesome. And like we barely no, and we barely knew each other, which just shows like, you know, I, Five, little 500 is kind of sacred time for just like your OG homies. Oh yeah. And Jake, Jake brought me out to stay with him and we had a great time and he convinced me to, to uh, come. And even then he had a binder. He had this binder, just Berbetto on the top. He's like, here's the plan. I'm like, what is, <laughs> who is awesome. this person? What is oh, that? Man. It's incredible. Um, that, yeah. That's been a fun journey to see evolve. And yeah, it's crazy how that got all interconnected, John. And that led to your path. So what what got you into the mode then to get into Summit? Because yeah. I you introduced me to that whole world and it, it was so unique to me how you even discovered becoming what you become there. Can you break <laughs> yeah. that down? Yeah. Re really quickly before we go there, I just want to say yeah. one of my most shameful moments ever in business, I wish we could go back in time, was when we got that letter from the police. And at that time, Jake was like, John, this is the best thing that could happen to us. We should take this letter and send it to Mark Cuban and like blow it up and like say like, look, we're just trying to be business people and do good things out there. And, and I freaked out. I was like, no, I'm done. 
Like, now, no place uh, for me. dude, you know, that stuff's easier said than done where you constantly have that threat from the cops. And that, that was totally. something I remember from freshman year when I first started getting threatened by the RAs, like we're calling <laughs> the police. The first time I like sprinted out and then it happened again. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see them call the police. So I kind of <laughs> kept pushing that limit and it never happened. Yeah. It might have a couple times, but I would kind of be like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, we've been doing a bunch of free pizza drops. I'm just, I would like bullshit my way out of, you know, the quick talk and I kept moving. That was always yeah. what I learned with that game of just stay on your feet, stay mobile. And they're not going to really go out of their way. The campus police, if you're really being harmless, it's like, okay, free food yeah. goes a long way too. When you have cookies on you, it's easy to get <laughs> Just give some cookies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good play. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, back, back, back to your question. Um, I think the through the you know the, the the through point for all of this, I think for all all three all three of us, is the whatever it takes mindset. And so when I was promoting Jake's music and this like mixtape, I was like, whatever, like we'll throw our own concerts, we'll like headline, we'll we'll throw concerts and then have Jake open. And um, and when we did some of that, when we started promoting concerts or throwing our own. It was it was like back to guerrilla marketing, whatever it takes to fill the fill the venues. And I got really good at one specific thing. It wasn't the in-hand tickets. It was actually me sitting online in Starbucks using all the craziest things you could imagine that the internet had available for you to target people with links to buy tickets to concerts. And so like <laughs> I could talk to some of this stuff, but um, but I got really good at that. And, and then a, a number of other promoters on campus, some of which who are big promoters in New York, were following me and they're like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you selling these tickets? Like, you must be this, like, you must have all these friends. You must be like, just like us, like, you know, sell, buying bottles, all these things. I wasn't doing any of that. I was sitting in Starbucks, like a little nerd, just like wow. selling tickets. I got really good at Yeah, I got really good at it. And, um, and anyway, one of those big time New York promoters ended up working at summit and becoming the COO of summit. Wow. And so he's like, man, we need to get John involved. Like, obviously he's a cool promoter and has, and knows how to throw events and all these things. I had no idea how to throw events. I had no idea how to promote events, but, um, but yeah, he's like, come try this, you know, come do this venue in New York with me. And so I got, I got into promoting, I got into, you know, I started doing well with that. And then, you know, that, that, that person I partnered with ended up being the CEO of summit and was like, Hey man, gives me a call one day. I'm like in some entrepreneurial lecture, I would leave. He goes, Hey, um, do you want to continue doing like, you know, shows or do you want to produce events for some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, artists, innovators? I was like, I'll do the latter. Let's do it. And uh, awesome. I remember literally, and this is my like little fun story. I remember leaving the lecture hall and they were talking about Tony Shea and Tony Shea building Zappos. And at that time it was still like, it was, it was a good like darling company, but it wasn't what it was today and um, or what it became. And then, you know, after that call, I guess like two weeks later I was doing, I flew out to do a summit event, my first like operations of a summit event. And there was Tony Shea, there was Mark Cuban, there was, you know, Ryan Leslie who's one of my favorite music producers. They're like all my idols. And I was literally learning about these people not but two weeks ago. And now I'm like sitting next to them and having conversations with them. So, you know, you have one of these moments and you're like, okay, I'm in.
Let's go. Wow. What was that first like when you were around someone like of Mark Cuban stature in business? Was there that initial like shock factor or because John, you've become over the years so yeah. comfortable because you've been in those settings so many times, which yeah. is a unique gift in itself because most people aren't able to cope with that. I don't think the feeling yeah. of being around that type of mentality. Yeah. I Look, I've been I'll tell you what, I still get very nervous. I still get starstruck. I still have to work through that moment. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like that, I, that's not easy for me to be around some of these people. Um, I think my, the biggest thing is that I've studied human connection. I've studied like what it takes to meet people on their level and like whatever they're, they're interested in. So, you know, you could, and, and whoever it is in the world, you can always, ask them questions, be curious and find out what motivates them, what excites them, what's top of mind for them. And usually it's something very, you know, human, like so it could be, you know, I like, um, I like driving in the car, I like race cars. And so, you know, what it feels like to feel, you know, behind, behind any car and feeling good about it. And you could just connect to that feeling in yourself, which that is the same feeling they're talking about at the end of the day and find a mutual ground in which to connect. And even um, like you were saying yesterday, when we were talking yeah. the restaurant recommendation where it, yeah. the whole sales approach of you not needing to sell anything, you just have a human basic need being met and connecting on a personal level. And then the sales method kind of works itself out where you're just building rapport naturally with someone and they're happy to work with you because they then trust totally. you in a, in an interpersonal way. Totally, totally. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, some people in sales, like I think there's a guy, I think Grant Cardone is the guy who made up this concept of like finding their religion. Like what are, what are, what's their belief system? What's, what's the thing that they trust? What's the thing that when they speak about it, it just lights them up. And a lot of people, it is food and it is, you know, dining experiences. And um, yeah, being able to just, you know, again, listen, like what's, you know, if you ask someone, what's your recommendations? Like, I mean, we've all had this moment many times. And you just see people light up from those moments and then you resonate and see what works with them and what they really enjoyed. And then you can share some of your own and maybe it just becomes this, you know, this riffing off of, uh, it's, it's like a playlist of, you know, food recommendations. And yeah, there's some deep rapport you can build just off of something like that. I think that's interesting because it's something where people are definitely, they love feeling helpful like they're providing someone with value. So I think that's something I know me and you have had this conversation with Jake a lot too, John, the whole where yeah. it's like, it doesn't hurt to ask somebody Yeah. where a lot of times I think people are not really, they're closed minded going in where it's just a human connection. And then, yeah. you know, when it comes down to it, everyone has the same needs. Like we're all hungry at some point we need to eat. What are your recommendations? People love giving you that type of information. Cause it makes totally. them feel important and that it helps your day. It's gratifying. Totally. Totally. Sp speaking of restaurants, what's the food scene like in Eden, Utah? Um, they have a great situation with food, Dan, with the chefs. John, you gotta break <laughs> it down. Like I could so, live there. All right. Well, wait, wait, wait. before you even dive into that, my biggest question then with summit is I have a lot of questions with summit, yeah, but yeah. talked about it a lot. How the way I understand it is, there's a few events a year that you guys work to bring big time influencers to kind of to network and whatnot. I guess my question is what goes on at summit when those events aren't happening? 
Well, for, for one, I want to like differentiate the difference. So Summit's like, a, it's really a family of companies, right? So we have the ski resort, which has always been here. We have, you know, our development arm, which is building a small village here, right? Then we have what 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 started the company, which is our um, community and events company. We have a nonprofit arm, and then we have the Summit Action Fund, which invests into companies, right? So there's all these different companies. I think what your question is, is like what happens in Eden, Utah, um, when we're not hosting an event here? And um, and yeah, like we're here right now. There's, I would say there's probably about a hundred people here who, you know, are either living in their home on the mountain or are visiting someone. And luckily, I mean, at this time, like it's a great place to be because you can still be outside in nature. Um, and yeah, we do have, we do have, um, we used to have a restaurant here, but we do have some chefs that essentially are, you know, creating these magical ex dining experiences during our events. And so right now they're obviously, you know, since we don't have an event, they're not doing that, but still like on Passover, there was some brisket delivery that happened and, you know, it still goes down like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and then look with our dining experiences, like I think, and I would, I don't want to, don't quote me on this. Like we might have the world record for largest dinner table at 9,000 feet. We had a thousand oh person, one, you know, it was about a little over, a little under a thousand people of just one long expansive uh, table on our mountain. And to pull off that, by the way, like I, I'm not on the operations team anymore, but to pull off that operation of a dinner table that size is the most absurd thing ever. Can't even experience in terms of like events. What I Setting love about that. is that strangers at the table, Dan, like when I was out there, you just are put together with everyone you don't know. So you're just put at a table with strangers and then obviously you connect with them and get to know them pretty intimately off of a dinner conversation. So John, I love how that community centered focus is the front and center bread and butter there with the meals. So do you guys yeah. basically own the town of Eden then? No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, the town <laughs> of Eden has been here. We, our community has crowdfunded uh, the the purchase. Uh, well, this was many years ago, but we you know crowdfunded uh, Powder Mountain. Okay, gotcha. so this is this is a ten thousand acre ski resort here in Eden that they own. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. that, we, that. Yeah, so that's how that is. And and yeah, look, it's gonna be you know a couple hundred home sites and a beautiful village main street and a bunch of hotels, and so it becomes its own like micro village, if you will. But, um, but yeah. And how, how far along is it on the pro on that process? Like, is it, is it already like this? Yeah. Village? There's people it's living here. There's, oh, like, nice. people, there's people living here like, and, and, um, and yeah, people and ski and ski out. So people are just, you know, hopping out of their homes and going onto ski runs. So yeah, Eden, yeah. Utah is kind of becoming like uh, a, a little ski village town, like a Telluride or a snow mass. It's like on those types of levels. I, I would say it's, it, it has the, the same concept generally, but like those places are much more built out and have a much bigger, um, more, more, a lot more infrastructure. I'd say like, we're, gotcha. we're like, how do you, you know, our thing is like, how do you take what feels like a national park and put some houses in it so that, you know, you mix the best of nature and also living in a community. That honestly sounds awesome, man. What you like have your own house there? Like what's your setup like there? 
my setup right now is that I'm in I'm, I'm, my my friend. I'm in my friend's house for now, but uh, we'll see down the line what we, what we end up. Nice. Yeah, and if we ever sell the food delivery business, we can get a property out at Summit. I mean, they is have it, set up there. It's it's is it like expensive real estate there? Um, it's it's comparable. I mean, there's a number of it's probably significantly cheaper than other ski towns. Um, but yeah, it's it's comparable to you know most other uh, beautiful mountain towns. It's really it's one of the most gorgeous spots in the country, without a doubt, that I've seen. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And John, so what, tell us about the journey you're on now. Cause you, I know me and you were talking a bit, you've been in the startup mentality, like for a long yeah. time around it. And now you're working on your own startup, which couldn't yeah. come at a better time with what's going on with the virus. Yeah. Well, look, I'll tell you that I, I haven't told anybody that I'm even doing this startup. So I'm keeping it on the, on, on the okay. DL for now. Um, but what, I, what I'm, I think what's interesting, and and, I, and my mentor told me this, is like people are always like, what are you passionate about? Like maybe you should work on something you're passionate about. And I think a, he reframed the question. It's like, what are you curious about? Mm. And, and I'm very curious about the future of mental and emotional well-being. And right now, I think those things have either, to me, it has some stigma related to it, and it also has some... Um, I don't. I don't want to use the word like soft, but it doesn't. It doesn't have its its power by talking about it. Like there's some real vulnerability in even talking about it, right? Which is fine and it's really important for connection. But I think there's an opportunity to build uh, a a brand and a community around people who are interested in in um, not just physical fitness, but mental and emotional fitness, and how you can combine all of those things and like work out your mind, work out your emotions work out your body in a way that supports all of those things and um, there's an opportunity to build a real community around that so yeah that's what i'm thinking about and that's what i'm curious about that's so awesome is this like a technology play or is this kind of like a brick and mortar business this will be this will be very much technology but it could show up into you know live events and um and have a physical location component down the line but i i doubt it i think this is more Tech. What I'm pumped to see with John here, Dan, he has such a deeply embedded sense of community building with his experience with Summit over the years. And even John, like you always have had an ability, which I've admired, the self-improvement mentality where you're always trying to tweak things with routines, with you introduced me to meditation a long time ago that I've implemented, which has been game changing. So you've always been, and I'm sure a lot of it's been being able to be around greatness constantly with certain people that I'm sure you've picked up certain things from over the years, but it's really cool. I think you're onto something unique that you're able to do off of your background. That yeah. You're perfectly fit for this. Yeah. I mean, I have, I sit on this weird line of like a, the, the achievement mindset, like always trying to, to be better and always trying to grow. Right. And at the same time, I have this like serious, you know, level of curiosity where I'll go down like interesting, weird rabbit holes that I'm like, eh, that seems pretty taboo, but I'm going to try it because obviously someone has gotten benefits from it. And yeah, along the way, I, you know, I got, was very early on the meditation in the meditation game, um, you know, now into Qigong and 
getting into some much weirder stuff that I, I, uh, I think that is going to be very normal soon. So, um, yeah. What's Qigong? Qigong is essentially, it's, you know, some people refer to it as Tai Chi, but there's different types of very slow, mindful movements that you can do with your body, with your, with your arms, with your, you know, pretty much your entire body. And through that process, you it's it's like a moving meditation in many ways and at the same time like you're increasing your mobility and has it's all like very similar to yoga where there's stretching and movement but but i'll tell you like i get to a very clear state after doing qigong wow damn we're gonna have to give that a shot well it's interesting because there's no like you know all the different we're definitely in an era right now where health is at the forefront, whether it's mental health, physical health, and there's all these different companies that are starting to emerge, whether it's yoga companies, fitness companies, you know, those think tanks where you float in like salt tank, which I haven't tried yet, but I do want to try. And I, I haven't heard anything about this, but I could see it being the next wave of classes that come up. That's not even what you're talking about for your business. I was well, no, John, yeah, totally. John foundations, mindfulness and emotional. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what's great about it. Cause that is the future. When you think about it, what's been at the forefront is physical health somewhat. Right. Fitness, where it's like orange theory at 445. There's what a thousand of those. But yeah. when it comes to mindfulness, besides the calm and the headspace apps, when you really think about that world, it has to be in a whole nother stratosphere of awareness. And hopefully <laughs> the isolation people have had to deal with physically now with this virus will help bring to light things like John that you're creating that the world is totally. going to come to see soon. Totally. And by the way, I think, you know, you're just touching on physical fitness. Like I think from my own experience, like we kind of have it backwards where I, I, I think to optimize my physical fitness, I start with the, the meditation. I start with the mindset. Then even from there, I go into priming my body. So going into the slow movement or breath work, and then from there, if I do fitness, like I'm, uh, you know, my mind is so clear that I'm not being blocked by my limitations that are that would typically hold me back from, you know, running my fastest or jumping my highest. That's so, really an interesting perspective to think about because I, I don't think a lot of people think about physical activity with getting your mind right. And when you even uh, our buddy Chris Miller on the podcast brought this up a couple months ago, the notion like a LeBron James, he has to recover and heal and, you know, utilize his mind and rest to be able to optimize his physical performance. So, John, I love where your head's at with that. I think that's really enlightening and people need to, I need to do that more myself. Like I'm great with working out every day and meditating, but even the stretching and the breathing exercises, I have to get better at the that notion for pliability and just totally longevity. John, what are your what what are your tips for really like turning it off? Like I've always struggled to actually meditate. Like I'll, I'll I'll try it and a couple seconds in, I just I'm like I just I just can't do this right yeah, now. It makes me break tip at like going to bed the last hour of the night. You don't have tech around you. John's great with this stuff, Dan. Dan, I, I hear you uh, mentioned something that it just came to mind, right? Which is that. You know, you're saying how you have you have a tough time with with you know you get into the meditation and then like your brain starts to get whatever and then you get out of it, right? Consider, yeah. consider if that was like a business deal, would you just give up? Nah, or you wouldn't give up, right? So consider that the meditation is not the sitting in the quiet; it's the practice of pushing through that nonsense that your mind just caught you out of it with. 
Wow. Because consider that. Yeah. That's, that's the meditation. A, you, that's such a different way of looking at it. And that's the, not fitness the way I'm I've been approaching about. it. That's the fitness oh. I'm talking about. You know, when you get distracted and you leave your computer or whatever, you're, you know, whatever you're working on, uh, that happens to me all the time. And the meditation is the coming back to the computer is the focus is the saying, Hey, Oh, I I'm hungry right now, but that's just a sensation of hunger. I'm with the hunger, but now I'm back to focus. I like it. That's th that's actually like something I'm gonna I'm gonna try tonight because I almost feel like you're validating the fact that meditating is hard, and you're almost saying like that's okay. Focus on that challenge. Make that what meditating is is trying to get through what's hard about it instead of looking at it like oh you can't clear your mind you're a loser. You can't meditate instead. Like that's what meditating is, is trying to like get through the process of getting to the point where you clear your mind more so than just being able to press a button and clear your mind. And also you know, the perseverance, like anything, like being able to, it's like building up a habit and you know, the neuroplasticity, it's like a workout. The first few times running steps, you might not be able to run 200 flights, but then a few weeks in you're like, Oh, bring on 250. So meditating, even for me now, and I'm neurotic and wired, like, you know, like crazy, John, I can meditate now and sit still and not mm. care. At first, it was like, I thought I had to clear my head and all these things. But then I realized, no, it's just focusing on the breath, sitting there, taking the time to even practice. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, John. So I want to ask you, man, obviously, this is somewhat food related. So I want to before we leave here. <laughs> But if all else was off the table, calories don't matter. Like last meal on earth for you, I mean, before you go to the execution chamber, what are you thinking there? <laughs> Someone told me this amazing thing the other day. Yeah. That it's probably not that appropriate, but essentially it would be chocolate chip cookie dough with Honey Mama's bars in it. And then the Honey Mama's bars might or might not have cho be chocolate mushrooms. Um, right. that would be an ideal. Wow, John. See, I love how you bring up dessert fully because I, every time yeah. we've asked people, they're, they're saying, oh, steak, potatoes. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? This is it. And I like that. You're going to town on cookie dough. Dan, I know you could appreciate that. You have a grin on your face. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I like the dessert angle for sure. You guys have honey moms before? I've never heard I'm, of that. What is yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I was going to ask you what that even is. Man, this this company came out with these like cacao cacao with honey and all these other ingredients. You'll see them now. Next time you're in like um, you know, a health food store, a lot of them have it now. And John usually, finds out about things way before everyone else does, Dan. And somehow like 6 months later, the public finds out. It's like, "Wait, John, wh where what tunnel? It's like a Harry Potter news feed he has." It's crazy. <laughs> Definitely go down. I, like I said, I go down some weird rabbit holes, but, um, but honey moms is, this is a good rabbit hole. It's amazing. I'll, yeah. I'll definitely try them out. I'm always, I'm a sweet tooth. Yeah. yeah. John, I appreciate the time, man. And we're pumped to get out to eat and pumped to see you in New York so we can do the bang, bang pizzas and ice cream and all that. And, Let's uh, do it. the world's excited to see what you have in the works, man. Coming soon coming soon i appreciate you guys having me on the show and thanks for coming buddy yeah, and yeah love, man. love honestly like i i'm so inspired by both of you 
just not talk oh, about perfect. perseverance and talk about just nonstop hustle and, and just keep pushing and keep making things happen and iterating and trying things. Like I, when I, when I'm, as I start my business, I'm thinking like, what would you guys do? Like, how do you guys do always innovate? Oh, so it's really, like, thank you. Yeah. You're really making us blush. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're inspiring in many ways yourself, John. I'm pumped to continue watching what's going on in your journey here and seeing you soon. All right. Well, until then. Love you, buddy. Cool, man. Take Love it easy. You. All right. Nice. Thanks to John Stein for coming on. Pumped to see him in action. And Dan, I, I guess at this point we should dive into Elon Musk and his greatness. Uh, I know you and I always love talking about him. You were just highlighting him on Twitter earlier. His biography, it really just dives into his whole life, his childhood. He was born in South Africa. He was bullied as a kid. He read extensively, literally nine hours a day, huge science fiction fan, which when you think about a lot of his inspiration for businesses, they stemmed from novels, which when you think about Dan imagination running rampant and being able to, at a young age, I mean, this is where like Chris Miller brought this up a while ago, like someone, not everyone has a Gary Vaynerchuk gear where it's like, it's just not everyone's like that. Elon Musk is at a different stratosphere of not everyone's like that. Not anyone's like that. Well, yeah, because there's almost, there's a difference between like somebody naturally being a hustler and grinding versus being so next level smart. And yeah. you know what I mean? It's just, it's two different things. Like you could instill work ethic and a grind in somebody. I don't think most people are capable of doing what Elon Musk has done. And I wonder how much of that comes from his natural brain or how much of that comes from the fact that he claims to have spent his life in a library, in a library when he was growing up and literally according to him has read every single book that exists cover to cover every single encyclopedia, like anything that's ever been written, Elon Musk has read. Well, then so, I think what that shows, though, even when we think about the last dance with Michael Jordan that just started last night, he's arguably the not arguably. I, I think he is the best basketball player of all time. That was someone that worked at his craft religiously. It's not like you are innately born with a gift all the time. So, sure, Elon Musk could have naturally had an IQ on another level. But think about how much time he spent building up his imagination. And like John was just highlighting curiosity going down that rabbit hole. When you have a, a mindset like Elon Musk as a kid where he's thinking about the future of humanity and space travel and that kind of wild imagination, you know, he was bullied a lot. He grew up in a time in South Africa with apartheid running wild. It was not a good time. Like it was a really violent place where he was. And he was like always dreaming of coming to America. The freedom, the idea of being able to create that was unheard of in South Africa. It was like literal slavery back then. Yeah, so didn't he like to maneuver as a, a citizen? And I think when you combine that, of course, he innately was intelligent, but the guy spent so much time down that rabbit hole. When you're reading nine hours a day as a kid, you're going to create scenarios where you can learn how to program at 12 years old. When your mind's a sponge at a young age, think about what we all did as kids if that was all dedicated to one thing, that's what happens. So it's an yeah. accrual of hours with curiosity and just a next level maniacal approach of being fascinated by something and also having a purpose 
with that fascination. A lot of times people are curious, but it has nothing to do with world impact. And it's crazy how Elon Musk, everything he's been curious about has impacted the world one way or another, even in his initial startups, like Zip2 with the online newspapers. Like he was just always ahead of his time with the with PayPal, what that evolved into with the financing online and people being able to transfer payments and even pay for things online. And when you look at his roadmap, Dan, it's just even getting involved in Tesla. He didn't start Tesla. He saw someone was starting an electric vehicle and he was fascinated by it and decided I need to be involved in this and dump a ton of money and took over and became CEO. So no, and it's interesting because when you talk about him being a sponge at early age, it was almost, it was almost with no direction where, you know, if you're reading nine hours a day, you're just taking in so much information and then later you're going to put it to use in some sort. I just wonder it just goes to show how important it is at a young age to be a sponge. You know, it's like, could somebody start reading nine hours a day now and all of a sudden get to where Elon Musk is and have that mind? And the answer is definitely no. Well, I think it's impossible when you're not a young kid to have, like, obviously we always talk about the newbie brain where like you have to wake up as like an infant with new projects where it's like, you know, nothing. That's why it's always told that's the best way to learn. Like when you're learning a new language or anything, that's way easier to do when your brain is still developing. So, yeah. when, you know, obviously no, but you could do that for sure. That's That doesn't mean as an adult, you can't build a craft. You just have to spend a lot of time building it. A and, lot of time. And, and it's it, it's definitely easier, similar to like learning a language as a kid to do that because you don't have your pre-existing thoughts or your pre-existing ideas no on how things should be done. Exactly. There's no precondition. So what you're learning is like literally turning in you into the human you're going to become. Whereas like when you learn new things, when you're thirties or twenties or forties or whatever age, it's tough to get other things in your mind to almost unravel the way that they were originally programmed to like, let these new things take on the life that they're supposed to. And that's where you look at that guy and it's remarkable. It's also remarkable because you hear all these different and it's not as much now as it used to be, but you know, people who use who work for Elon Musk definitely have a mixture of things to say about him where on one end everybody admires and respects him, but sometimes he kind of gets compared to uh, Steve Jobs a little bit with like the way that he demands perfection and the way he's like kind of a lunatic with the way he comes out with things. But where I give Elon Musk a ton of credit and what's and uh, same thing with Corey, like we read this book a couple of years ago, but the biggest thing that I really took away from the book was how he would demand perfection or say that something needs to be done a certain way. And if somebody was like, Oh, that can't be done because of this, he'd be like, okay, I'm going to do it then. And he would step in and he would do it and he would get it done the way he was originally saying. And he was never afraid, not even afraid. He, he was so, he is so smart. I don't know why I'm talking about him in past tense here. He's still alive and killing it, but he is so intelligent that he is able to step in and understand every single element of the business. So like early days of Tesla, yeah, like a car door, he wants to be a certain way and they're telling him why it can't be that way. He's like, you're fired. I'm taking over your job and I will do this the exact way I want it. And that it, it or, commands or a level of respect. Someone has a legit, you know, counter that makes sense. And he sees that he'll like, you know, go down that rabbit hole and be like, oh, okay. 
Like that's the yeah, thing. He needs, he needs somebody to explain the engineering side of things. And if someone says something can't be done, he doesn't take that for an answer. He needs to hear the scientific reason of why it can't be done. And if you can't provide that, you're going to be asked to step aside so he can come in and do it. Yeah, I, I found his days with SpaceX to be more fascinating to read about than uh, anything else. Like with the different things when they were sending the rockets to space and having people be on those hot islands. What was it in Hawaii? Where was it? Where were they doing it? Yeah. And not to mention just the bleeding cash with that, the, the just risk of even having to get a shuttle, that last shuttle that they got to actually not explode on takeoff where he would have been bankrupt completely. Like those types of risks when you've already cashed in once, twice, and putting it back on the line, that's next level of like staunch belief in yourself with conviction. It's like, oh, well, I have a bigger purpose here. I'll become a millionaire and then lose it all and sleep on someone's couch and then build again. That's just, and that's what it takes though for, to be great. You have yeah. to like, we always even talk about with our business and how long we've been at it and what it takes to build a market and what it takes to build this podcast. It's consistency. It's falling in love with the process and being forever curious to be able to ignite that flame in different ways. And, you know, that's, I think, the biggest challenge for anyone that's running anything for a long time. I'm sure he's run into it where you're running, even if it's a behemoth, Tesla, after a while, I'm sure there there's days where Elon Musk is like, how do I uh, fire up the, you know, the passion here? But he has so many different things going on that it's impossible not to. There's no such thing as free time in Elon Musk's life because when you think about how many companies he has his hands in, <laughs> he's CEO of Tesla, he's CEO of SpaceX and obviously the founder of it. He found, He's the founder of the Boring Company, which is an infrastructure and tunnel, tunnel construction service then. He's basically sick of the traffic in LA and he wants to be able to have underground uh tunnels to be able to alleviate traffic, which is unbelievable because clearly super trains aren't coming anytime soon for us. So he's thinking about just doing it underground. Then you've got him. He's the co-founder of Neuralink, which is a neurotechnology company that develops BMIs, which are implantable brain machine interfaces. So in plain English, he's trying to treat serious brain diseases short term. And eventually this is such sci-fi-esque he wants this t- company to evolve into transhumanism, which is basically something that was inspired by a novel series called The Culture by Ian Banks that he read, where it's the notion of enhancing human intellect and physiology through <laughs> brain implants. So when we think about him thinking about the future, he's also the co-founder of OpenAI, which is just an independent research organization on AI. And he's so smart that he's probably having nightmares constantly about the singularity moment where AI reaches human intelligence and do they take over. I know you joked around a while back that he probably has some robot in his house that's trying to kill him every day that he has to dodge and reprogram. You know, the guy is just, he's got his hand in so many things, but his ongoing theme is he wants to make sure there's a future for humanity. At a young age, Dan, he wanted to alleviate humans' need for dependency on oil. And that continues to be his life goal. So 
the guy is a media darling because he talks a big game and continues to deliver on a level that it just seems like a fantasy. But when it comes out of his mouth, you know there's substance behind it. So that's why he's been able to get himself out of pickles, raise money like on a whole nother planet. Talk about the best fundraiser on the planet. It's Elon Musk. When you really think about it, that guy has convinced investors for years to buy into things that didn't make money. And then he's gotten things to another planet that weren't even possible. And really smart people thought he was going to fail time and yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the only person that you could really ever compare to Elon Musk, and I don't even know if you can compare him to Elon Musk, is you know who I'm going to say, Steve Jobs. I don't think you could though, because I, I, I think don't. I, I don't Musk think you could not. either, because it's a different level of what he's doing than. But to be fair, he also was. It was a different era, uh, like a couple decades ago. He also died young. I know Steve Jobs was 56 when he died. He was sick for a long time, and he he did take Apple in a way where he he had a similar mindset as Elon Musk. But I, I definitely think when you look at just accomplishments. Uh, there's no doubt you're going to look back at Elon Musk on a different planet, literally, because yeah. he's trying to colonize a different planet. So it, it's impossible not to think of that guy as Tony Stark and Thomas Edison combined. He's a superhero. Like legitimately, I don't think Elon Musk is human. I think an alien planted him here to help evolve humanity. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It's also like you can't help but read about him sitting there and watching one of his rockets launch into space and like seeing if it's going to blow up mid trip, if it's going to make it. And like, I, I can't help but just sit there and be like, damn, like, will I ever be able to relate to this level of caring about something in my life where this guy is watching a rocket ship that he designed, created, put the money into that's now about to go on a space mission? I mean, these are things that like just imagine sitting there watching a rocket ship that you were responsible for creating take mm -hmm. off and like is it going to go into space is it going to blow up i don't really know but but... i think that's all relative dan to anyone that builds anything for them their own worlds that are on like it's the same mindset that he's having for that for like say we build out something in our own world with our business I, I think everyone, it, that's a relative thing because for him, for what he's already done at that level, that it's just a different mindset anyway. But anyone that's built anything that's like wrote a book or, run, you know, built a successful business and sold it or whatever it might be, art, it doesn't really matter. I think that it, everyone's impact, it's relative. Like I, yeah, it's not like Elon Musk is seeing himself and getting happier than someone else that's doing something different, even though he launched a rocket. It's not like his happiness level is somewhere that no one else has said. You've heard Warren Buffett talk about that. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Like his like creating's creating. So somebody creating something that the rest of society would look at as small and meaningless to that person might be the most significant thing in their world. Exactly. That yeah, and whereas everyone looking at Elon Musk, that's just part of his universe. Where exactly. making a rocket go to space for him is I don't want to say small potatoes, but it kind of is until is that guy point. is able to have a sandwich on Mars with an alien and talk about what's next. He'll probably not feel like he's really doing much. He probably yeah. already has done that for all we know. I mean, the whole, he, he wouldn't shock me if he's had a sandwich with an alien. 
The way he <laughs> yeah. thought about things and envisioned, it's like, where is this coming from? I, I think he has a buddy that's like a sidekick that's like got his back underground where that's he goes down and digging tuggles, tunnels and there's just some Yoda looking creature being like, yo, Elon, here's what's over, going on. Over here. <laughs> and he plays it off like he read all these books for nine hours a day and it's just some dude feeding him stuff like cheating on a test where it's like, I always like love the thought of that where it's just some, like, like a cheat code for the world kind of like, like the movie Mercury paul Mercury. yeah with seth rogan where paul's like the alien that apparently was responsible for like everything that's happened in society for the last 30 years and he's just yeah. like this cool little alien that's like fun funny smokes weed hangs out played by yeah, seth rogan for another 420 day Dan. it is 420 uh yeah i will be celebrating me too and I, I'm not, I don't know, I got to get some food. I'm starting to, I ran a ton of steps this morning. I've been going a bit hard on the dessert. So I went yeah. for hell. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's finish this under the two hour mark, which is right now. This was, oh, this was man. awesome. Let's end this it. Take care. Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves going all out. Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady, keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get Lowdell, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.